you've likely heard about this theological idea of the priesthood of all believers. Right? It's the idea that it's not just the ordained priests that have work to do in God's kingdom. It's not just the priests who should be contributing to the worship and sharing the gospel and loving the world. Um, but it's all believers of Christ. I wonder if you've ever considered that there might also be a diaconate of all believers, right? That all of us in one way or another are called to be like the first deacons in the church, caring for and being concerned for the least and the last. I mean, that's what today's passage is really about. Um, last week, we had a chance um, to see a, uh, a bit of a paradox, right? That if we lay our lives down, we'll actually find abundant life. I think that today, God is inviting us to lay something else down. I think he's inviting us to lay down our understanding of what it means to be great. All of us have been shaped by the world we live in to determine what greatness is, and I think God's inviting us to have a paradigm shift today. So I wouldn't, in, I, I want to offer some unsolicited advice, because that's always a good idea. Um, <clears throat> I would not suggest preaching, or the, the task of preaching, to anyone who doesn't want to be challenged to put things into practice, right? Particularly um, to be challenged by both your wife and the Lord himself, um, just last sat, uh, Sunday, after a 20-minute power nap, uh, my wife invited me to uh, do some things that she had been inviting me to do for a couple of weeks. Um, I had been procrastinating, and the time was up. Um, she, she said, hey, we've got guests coming, and our guest room still has boxes in it. Um, and our guest room also has a, a very bad-looking window. Allow me to explain. Um, the, the people who previously lived in our house put some window tinting on the window. I suppose this is a strategy to keep your house cooler. In fact, it was a strategy to decorate the window in a way that's not particularly attractive. Um, because water could get behind this film and turn a nice rust color, um, it sort of had a polka dot, uh, very dirty, difficult to see through aesthetic. <clears throat> so... My wife said, it's time, it's time to clean this window. And to be honest with you, um, I was not having it. Um, I had just woken from a nap. I'm very slow. I'm a slow starter after napping particularly. Um, and I was grumbling in my heart. I was like, I don't want to do this. Why should I have to do this? It's Sunday. This is a day of rest. All kinds of excuses, right, um, for not doing the thing that I had plenty of time to do. And in that moment, the Lord reminded me of what I would be preaching today by asking me a simple question. If Matt Kessler were asking you to clean this window, how would you respond? Right? If my boss, if my bishop asked me to do something, would I not eagerly do it? And so that revealed to me something about my heart. Right? That on, in some level, I serve to get ahead. Right? In some level, I give my best effort to people that I think are popular or people that have some authority in my life. And so if I'm not going to love my wife the way I ought to, much less the least and the last, these people that I see around me that bother me or frustrate me or um, seem to always need something from me, 
And so the, the Lord really came and invited me to check my heart. But the Lord's good. He doesn't leave us in a place of um, shame. And the Lord asked me a second question, and this was it. He said, what if I had asked you to clean this window? How would you clean it? What, what kind of demeanor would you have? With what, with what effort would you accomplish this task? And right there with that question, he invited me to do the work as if unto him. Right? And so I got out my 8,000 grit sharpening stone, y'all. I got this, this scraper. It's a one-inch wide scraper. I got that scraper, and I polished this thing. It shaved uh, the hairs on my wrist, right? And I slowly, meticulously, over 30 minutes, cleaned one window. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Turn with me now um, to 867, page 867 in your blue Bibles. Um, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9. We're going to see a situation where Jesus is inviting the disciples to have a new perspective, just as he did for me last Sunday. Um, we're looking particularly at verse 46. Our passage this morning begins with an argument. It's an argument between Jesus' disciples about who is the greatest. Luke says it this way. An argument arose among them as to which was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasonings of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. This is a really um, interesting moment in Luke's gospel. And just like any other passage from the Bible, it's helpful to see what happens before and after. What's the context for this argument? Because this argument doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? There's context. There's things that are leading to it. And so as, as the Lord invited me to read the context this week, I made an observation. Um, in the beginning of Luke chapter 9, you can even follow kind of the, the title headings uh, in, in your blue Bibles. You can see right there at the beginning, Jesus sends his disciples out right? He gives them power and authority. And he says, go, tell people the good news and heal people, like miraculously heal people like I've been doing among you, right? Jesus gives them authority and they have some success, right? At the end of that passage, they come back to Jesus and they tell him all the things they did. I love that verse. They tell him all the things they did. They were excited. They were happy. They were uh, their heavenly father had given them a job to do and they had done a good job. And so they're excited to report back to Jesus. Um, but it's not all success in this chapter, right? Look a little bit further down and you'll see in verse 10 um, this passage about Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now in that passage, Jesus invites the disciples, you feed them. And how do they respond? With great faith? <laughs> no, they say, we can't do that. And they talk about the cost. And they're like, is it worth the cost, Jesus? I mean, that's a lot of money to feed these people. So not only do they not get that Jesus can do miraculous things, but they also don't think these people are worth it. And they're confronted with themselves in that passage. A few passages later, um, you'll see there's this really uh, interesting experience where Jesus heals a boy, right, in 37, heals a boy with an unclean spirit. Um, but what that title doesn't say is that the disciples actually couldn't do it, right? They've been given authority and power. They tried, but they couldn't cast out this demon. And so Jesus has to do it himself, and he laments about their faith. And so the disciples have had this mixed bag of success, much like you and me. And when we have mixed bags of success, we often resort to a pattern of justifying ourselves by lamenting about the shortcomings of others. 
right? I can almost hear them arguing. You know, Peter stands up, you know, and says, well, yeah, I couldn't heal that boy, but I preached to 50 people, and they made decisions for Christ, right? Um, or um, James is like, yeah, but, but I healed seven, right? And I can just imagine them arguing, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest, and this is why. And so Jesus enters into this moment with them. He finds them in a place where Jesus often finds us, right? Especially during times of performance reviews or report card day at school. Maybe the day that auditions, uh, the, the calling cast comes out for the play we were auditioning for. That when we feel like we're being judged, we're quick to point out the flaws of others and to minimize the flaws of our, of our own selves. Um, and if at all you're starting to feel discouraged at this point in the sermon, um, I, I want to invite you to remember this. This is not the first time Jesus is going to have this conversation with his disciples. It's not the first time they're going to have this argument amongst themselves. They're going to do it again. Even after Jesus tells them what's right, they again resort to this kind of thinking. So this, there's two things that I want you to take away from that. First of all, you're in good company, Right? Right? I mean, Peter and James and John, these are amazing people, right? So we're in good company. But second of all, Jesus is patient with these people, and he's willing to teach them again and again, just as he's willing to teach us in that same way. And so Jesus responds, and I want us to pay attention of how does Jesus respond, right? There's something amazing about verse 47. It says, but Jesus knowing the reasoning of their hearts. Right? Jesus doesn't only know what they're arguing about. He knows why they think they're great. And I bet the reason they think they're great is very similar to the reason you and I, from time to time, think we are great. Jesus could, by their definition of greatness, which I assume has to do with accomplishments, and lots of accomplishments and few failures, right? Jesus could say, look, by your own definition, you are not great. He could cut them down in less than two sentences. Does that, is that what he does, though? No. Instead of cutting them down, instead of preaching at them, he says, I'm going to show you the kingdom of God. And he pulls a little child and puts the child in front of him. And he says this, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. For he who is least among you is the one who is great. Jesus shows them a new way to see things. He brings this child in front of them, and he, in those two verses, or in that one verse, he says something that really scandalizes the idea of this world's definition of greatness. First of all, he honors this child, this little one, who clearly has done very little with his life thus far, (laughs) right? This child has not healed the sick. This child has not cast out demons. I don't know if this child can articulate the gospel, much less preach it with the eloquence of Peter. But Jesus says, this is an honorable person, and you should honor this child rather than bickering about who's great Welcome this child. Love, serve, care for this child. And he says something here which is crazy. He says, when you serve this child, you're actually serving me. 
And when you serve me, you serve the Father, right? So if you think you're great servants of the Father, serve the child. This is not a new idea um, in the Gospels. We see this repeated again and again. Uh, My favorite passage that deals with this is in Matthew chapter 25. And Jesus describes this time at the end when he will put, the Son of Man will put the sheep on one side and the goats on the other. And he'll judge between them. And he'll say specifically to the sheep who are the faithful ones, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. When I was in jail, you visited me. And he goes on like that. My favorite part about this whole passage is they look at him and say, say what? It's like, nah, Jesus, if we had done those things for you, we would have remembered. Believe me, you're special, you're amazing, you're God. If we had served you, we wouldn't forget that. When did we do that for you, Jesus, they ask. And he said, every time you've done this for the least of these, you've done it for me. It's an amazing idea. Then Jesus, in the second statement, says that the least is actually the greatest. What does that mean? Why did Jesus say that? I believe that Jesus makes this statement so that we start treating with honor those who are despised in our culture, in our society, in our circles. God has no favorites. And if we are to live like Jesus, we've got to start seeing the nobodies as somebody. Somebody very special created in God's image. Um, When I was in the seventh grade, I had uh, recently come to know Jesus in a personal way. And um, one of the things that God called me to, I now look back on with, um, I I find it a bit comedic. Um, God called me to befriend those in my middle school who didn't have a lot of friends. He gave me a heart to care for those who um, most people look past. Uh, The the, the comedic part about all this is I was actually pretty uh, chubby and had freckles, and I actually didn't have a lot of friends myself. Um, But I had this sort of noble cause and purpose the Lord had given me. And uh, there was one particular student in my school who had just moved to the United States from another country. Um, He was smarter than everybody in the school, and he was socially very awkward. Um, And he also just didn't really know the custom or the culture of our school. And uh, a lot of people... A lot of people did not like him and did not spend time with him. So the Lord called me to be his friend. And um, for two or three years, uh, we were very close. And then we sort of lost touch over time. About a year ago, he sent me a message on Facebook and just said, I was reflecting on uh, my life and my friendships, and I just want to say thank you for being my friend when I was in seventh grade. That was a hard time of transition, and I didn't have a lot of friends. Thank you. It was such a simple act Um, that cost me nothing, uh, that the Lord used to bless and encourage this person. And and he does this for us. He gives us opportunities all the time to love and care for people and to come alongside them, people that are really hurting and struggling and challenged. Um, Here's what I think the, the crux of our passage is. Here's what I think the message is. The kingdom of this world defines greatness by what we accomplish and who we associate with. It defines greatness by us doing amazing things and being connected and associated with amazing people. But the kingdom of God doesn't define it that way. It defines greatness by one's willingness to faithfully do menial tasks 
for the least honorable people as if we were doing it for Jesus himself. And so this morning, I think God um, wants to refresh us in two ways. I, I believe that he wants to first help us see our own hearts and to give us a new heart. In, in addition to that, I believe God wants to give us a new perspective so that we can see other people as they truly are. So I'm going to ask a couple, of question, uh, a couple of questions, right? Jesus says you'll know a fruit, you'll know a tree by its fruit, right? And so I want to give us a chance to reflect on the fruit in our lives that relate to our understanding of greatness. Now when I ask these questions, I'm not trying to be accusative, so please don't take it that way. But I think we should invite the Holy Spirit to correct and convict as necessary that we might live more like him. And I believe that as we do that, we're going to experience God's tender mercy. And so that's, um, that's the heart and the desire behind this. So I'm going to invite you, actually, maybe close your eyes so you can really hear and listen. Um, and I'm going to ask these couple questions. Do you find yourself spending a lot of time comparing your achievements, your virtue, or even your servant-hearted self-sacrifice with those around you. Next question. <clears throat> Do you attack others or justify yourself quickly without listening when you receive criticism or constructive feedback? In other words, do you find yourself often being defensive? And finally, do you find yourself dismissive of certain kinds of people? Are there those who you just don't associate with that you think maybe are too far gone beyond your reach and that of God's? And now I'd invite you to ask the Holy Spirit what he's inviting you to repent of. What can you give to him and say, Lord, I need something new. I need a new heart a new perspective, a new way of seeing myself and seeing those who are around me. You can open your eyes. Thank you. Um, the, the spiritual first aid training that we had here just a couple of weeks ago spent a lot of time processing this kind of fruit, thinking through what are the, what's the fruit we see in our lives, and then specifically, what's the root of that? What's the plant that's bearing that fruit? And they identified three things that are often behind the bad fruit in our lives. They said, maybe the bad fruit is caused by a wound that you're carrying, right? Somebody cut you down or said something to you that was unkind, and you're just carrying that with you. You've not been healed of it, and it causes you to respond to other people in similarly unkind ways. They said, another possibility is there might be a sin in your life that you've not repented of, that you've not asked God to take from your life, and that produces fruit. Uh, or even it could be that um, the enemy has told you a lie about yourself or about other people, and you've believed that lie. Um, you haven't rejected it in Jesus' name. There's a whole process by which one deals with this. It's not going to happen in five minutes. It could. The Lord's amazing. But probably there's a process that you're going to go through. And I'd invite you to seek uh, one of the prayer and healing teams after the message if you think you'd like to process that more. And there's also some great resources around the city where you can do that. 
<clears throat> but I think the, the, the big takeaway that the Lord's inviting us to also came from that training. And it's this. When God takes something from us, when he removes the plant or the root, he actually gives us something in return. Something much, much better than the thing we were holding on to that was actually uh, taking our life rather than giving it. And this is what I think related to those first three questions that God is inviting us to receive. When we give him our jealousy and pride, he gives us contentment and a humble heart. Um, When we give over our defensiveness and our tendency to lash out when we're criticized, he gives us peace. He can give us an assurance that we are fully loved and we are justified by Christ, not our own successes and failures. And when we give over our indifference to the suffering of other people, he gives us hearts of compassion, tender mercy to share God's love with everyone we see. So the first thing is, is we're asking God for healing. The second is we're asking God for a new perspective. And just as I ask you questions and ask the Holy Spirit to uh, prompt you, I think we can actually ask God questions. Um, specifically, we can ask him these questions every day so that he would daily renew our hearts and minds. These are the three questions I want to invite you to ask tomorrow morning when you wake up. God, who am I? God, who do you love? And who do you want me to love and serve today? Right? When we hear passages like this, we kind of imagine ourselves um, hoping that we could be martyrs, right? That we could do these amazing things for Christ, right? That we really could be to do the thing that's the most servant-hearted in the whole world, and we ask for grace to do that. And that's good and well, but God is actually asking for daily surrender. He's actually asking us to trust him in really small ways. And that as we do that, step by step, he renews us and changes us to be more like himself. And so um, as I finished cleaning that window, right, as I took the maybe seventh time of spraying it with window cleaner and my, the abrasive side of my sponge to get the last bit of glue off, um, I found something very surprising. Um, usually when I work hard and am diligent, at the end of a task, I have a sense of accomplishment, right? A, sort of a, wow, I did a nice job with this. In this particular instance, I, I didn't have that. Um, instead of sort of a sense of pride, I actually had an experience of peace. And, and, and instead of um, feeling really good about what I had done, I had an experience of joy and excitement that as I let God transform my heart on that particular issue, um, that, that he actually came alongside me, joined me in the work, and his, bre- his presence brought peace and joy. And I think that's our invitation today. Um, we need daily transformation, and God's grace is sufficient when we love and serve the least of these with his